The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. This morning I want to talk to you about having a passion for God. Our God is an intense, passionate, loving God. There's nothing lukewarm about our God. In fact, in Revelations 3 verse 16, it says, he says lukewarmness causes him to throw up. There's nothing lukewarm about our God. He's very passionate. In James 4, 5, it, we read that he says the spirit of God yearns jealousy for us, jealously for us. In other words, he has this intense desire for his children. And over 40 times in the New Testament, he calls us the beloved. We are the beloved, God's beloved. No doubt about it, church. God loves us. Don't ever think you're not loved. I want to just give you a picture of God's love in the Garden of Eden. You know, when he created the earth, he made this beautiful Garden of Eden. And he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And everything imaginable was in that garden. And God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. I sometimes wondered what they talked about. Because there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no debt, there was no taxes, there was no politicians. I mean, it must have been a beautiful garden. So what did they talk to God about? Probably about the beauty of the garden, the things that they had discovered that day probably about the, the lines that they played with, an elephant that they rode on, and maybe they talked about a succulent peach that they ate. No worms, no pesticides in the Garden of Eden. Then one day he walked into the garden and Adam and Eve were hiding. And you can feel the anguish in his voice as he says, where are you? Where are you? And they had sinned. They'd done the right thing that he'd asked them not to do, to eat of that forbidden fruit. And then God, you'd feel the pain of his broken heart as he ushered Adam and Eve out of the garden. But God's heart was so broken. What he wanted was relationship and intimacy with man. And now it was gone. But he still loved mankind so much that he, he built a bridge for us. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should have eternal life. And that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on the cross made a way for us to have passion and intimacy and relationship with God again. This morning I want to talk to you about four passionate people in the word of God. And first of all, we'll start with Peter. Peter, the impetuous, enthusiastic, foot-and-mouth Peter. But despite his shortcomings, he's one of Jesus' closest friends and companions. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and he went out into the streets of Jerusalem preaching the gospel. 3,000 people got saved in one day. From then on, Peter was out preaching the gospel all the villages and the towns. And finally, his passion led him to, Jeru to Rome, where he was crucified upside down. The second one I want to talk to you about is Paul. No doubt about it, Paul was a passionate man. He was a Jew, a Pharisee, and such, a, such a, a passion for making everybody obey the law. And he went, used to persecute the Christians. He would go into their homes, he'd haul them out of their homes and throw them in prison. He was on his way to Damascus when he had that encounter with Jesus. Peter's passion changed too. He became a passion for growing the kingdom of God, of preaching the gospel. That passion led him to Rome too, where he was martyred. Church passion costs. There's a price that you pay for passion. 
I want to talk to you about King Asa in the Old Testament now. Now, normally I give you a lot of scriptures. And this King Asa, it starts in uh, 2 Chronicles 14, 15 and 16. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all. I'm going to give you an overview of uh, King Asa's life. When his father died and he became king, the first thing he did was get rid of all the idol worship, the high places, all the things that would offend God. He cleansed the land. And there was rest in the land for 10 years. At the end of the 10 years, a mighty Ethiopian army of 1 million, can you imagine, 1 million uh, soldiers and 300 chariots was heading towards Jerusalem. And King Asa knew that his small army was no match for this huge army of Ethiopians. I want you to, I'm going to read this prayer. You read it with me. This is the passionate prayer that Asa read. Prayed. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Listen to this. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And God heard that passionate prayer, and he went with, with Asa to war, and they absolutely decimated the Ethiopian army. And Asa was quite some time bringing back all the spoil that, that they had won through the war. And when he got back to Jerusalem, God sent a man to talk to him. And he said, as long as you serve the Lord your God and, you, and worship him and you have no other gods, you'll have rest in the land. And King Asa thought, this is a good deal. So he called all the people of Jerusalem and Judea together. And with the priests and the leaders... They made a covenant with God. If anybody worshipped or would not worship the Lord God, whether male or female, young and old, or old, they would be put to death. They uh, sacrificed 700 cattle, 7,000 sheep, and with trumpets blaring and loud shouting, you can read it when you get home in Second Chronicles 15, they made this covenant with God. And they had rest until the 36th reign of King Asa. But then something happened. King Asa lost his passion for God. Church, passion is something that you've got to keep alive. You've got to, you've got to feed passion. But King Asa lost his passion for God and became lukewarm. And when Israel started to come against Jerusalem, King Asa went into the temple and he took out the silver and gold and he sent it to the king Amran in Damascus. He said, come and fight Israel for me. God was not happy. And he sent the prophet Hanai to him. And the prophet said, you foolish man, Asa. If you'd have, don't remember how God gave you such a mighty victory against the Ethiopians? And he would have given you a victory this time. And he would have even given you a victory against the king in Damascus. You have been very foolish. And instead of humbling himself, Asa got angry with the prophet and threw him into jail. That was the downhill for the rest of Asa's reign a few more years he died a lukewarm man because he did not feed passion. Church, there are the greatest enemy of passion is compromise. And I know that we are a, we are a, a passionate church. We've got different passion in different areas. We've all got different giftings, different passions. But when we start to compromise, we start to grow lukewarm. We start, well, I don't feel like going to church today. And then it becomes a week and then it becomes a month. Oh, well, I'll get there for Easter and for Christmas. We start to lose our passion. 
We stopped talking to God, no prayer. Well, unless there was a need, then I'll pray. We stopped reading the, God, the word of God and it sits on the shelf gathering dust. We stopped worshipping. We stopped giving thanks. And we stopped giving offerings to the Lord. And so lukewarmness becomes our lifestyle away from God. Church, we need to keep our passion burning. God is a great and a passionate God. And we are a passionate church. You'd only have to spend a few minutes with me and you know what my passion was. Two minutes and you say, does she know anything else but missions? And then if, you, if I brought John McLennan up here and asked him what his passion, you know it's worship. I can tell you about John McLennan. He works one day a week at the church and he sits outside my office at the desk, at the table there. He has his earphones on and his fingers are going like this and he's humming away and everything's about passion. It's all passion. That's all John knows. He wants everybody to worship the Lord. And you know, I'm with him all the way, but that's his passion. Hang around John long enough and all he wants to talk to you about is worship. If I brought Sandra Brame up here, she would be saying, everybody get into Connect Group. That's her passion. She'll have you all in Connect Group, and rightly so. If I had Kay Wattle uh, up here, everybody, your passion should be food care. Everybody, I want you to get involved with food care. Rightly so. So we all have our different passions, but we need to keep passion uh, alive. We need to do it with, a, with our heart and with everything about us. That's what, how passion works, by keeping it alive. I want to talk to you about Hannah now. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 1, we read about Hannah. She was married to Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah who was barren and uh, Peniah who had children. And every, but Hannah, Elkanah really loved Hannah. They had a lovely, passionate love. And every year... Hannah, Elkanah would take his two wives, Hannah and Peniah, to the tabernacle to offer up the yearly sacrifice. And every year, you read it in scripture, that Peniah would sorely provoke Hannah. She doesn't, we don't know how, but it was probably about her barrenness. She probably kept rubbing in that you've got no children. What dreadful sin have you done that God has closed your womb? And so, but this, this particular occasion, Hannah is brought to tears. She's weeping. And Elkanah says to her, why are you weeping, Hannah? Aren't I worth more than two, ten sons to you? But Hannah didn't answer those questions because passion without fruitfulness was not enough for Hannah. She wanted to be fruitful. She wanted a womb that would provide, uh, produce fruit. I have a daughter in Melbourne who's a nurse and she works occasionally. And several months ago she was working uh, in the... Um, IVF clinic and couples would come in there in their late 30s, their late 40s and early 50s, passionately in love, beautiful relationship but no fruit and so they would turn to IVF to have a baby. Well Hannah didn't have that choice because there was no IVF in Bible days so Hannah went to the tabernacle and she poured out her heart to God. She was so desperate to be fruitful. She said, Father, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. She was even prepared to give away the fruit, give back to God the fruit. And God heard that prayer and he gave her a son. And she kept her vow and she gave that son back to God. And that son went to be on the most famous uh, prophet of the Old Testament, Samuel. Hannah went on to have five more children. But passion costs. There's a price for passion. And I want to talk to you now 
Uh, because I'm the missions director and I can, I want to talk to you about a, a missions couple that we sent to Peru last year and their passion. Now, this is not my story. This is my story. It's not uh, Chris and Sandy's story. It's what I observed uh, as I walk with them to go to the mission field. Uh, Chris and Sandy were in our, in our church many years ago before we had television. And Chris is a radio and a television engineer. And when Channel 9 uh, was selling out their, their old cameras, we were able to buy them for Life Source Television. And Life Source Television was launched with Chris and Sandy Welsh. From the time Chris and Sandy got married, their passion was to do something big for the kingdom of God. They wanted to do something for God. But nothing, nothing, no doors opened. They left Life Source Church very amicably, looking for something that they could do for God. And they, they went to, uh, Cam, uh, Chris went to Cambodia when they had about three, four, five children, thinking maybe a door, something they could do for God in Cambodia. Nothing there for them. S number six child comes up and they thought, well, maybe we could go out to Africa and uh, have an orphanage, run an orphanage or have a home and we could take orphans in. Africa didn't want them. They already had six children without taking in any more. So that, that door was open. Baby number seven came. And uh, still there was no, that passion was still, they wanted to do something for God. They didn't know how they could do that. They just had this passion. that They wanted to do something big for God. But there was no doors opening. And then somebody gave uh, Sandy a book called I Have Seen God's Face. And I know a lot of you have read that book. It's about a doctor uh, in Peru, Dr. Klaus, a German doctor, who had such a heart for the poorest of the poor in Peru in the Andes Mountain. He built a hospital, a state-of-the-art hospital there, and he's also built a school there so that these, these poorest of the poor could get medical help. And Chris and Sandy, as they read this book, something started to burn within them. And they'd read a chapter to the children each night before bed. And, and after a time of reading the book, Chris sent his resume to Dr. Klaus. And Dr. Klaus, it was just what he wanted. All these thousands, hundreds of thousands through the Andes Mountain, illiterate people. And he wanted to have radio and television through the Andes Mountain to give the gospel and to let these people know there was a hospital where they could come and get help. He was on the phone to Chris, how soon can you get here? And Chris says, well, baby eight, number eight is on the way. When the baby's six weeks old, we can come. Find yourself a church, uh, a missions organisation to sponsor, he said, and a church to raise funding for you. So uh, I had a phone call from Sandy. Uh, Helen, do you know of any missions organisation who would send out a family with eight children? And I said to her, well, Sandy, most missions organisations will only send out for three or four children. I said, but I don't know about Pioneers in Melbourne. They're a very big missions organisation, a worldwide missions organisation. So Sandy contacted World, uh, Pioneers in Melbourne and they said, yes, they would sponsor them to go to Peru, but they don't raise funds. You'll have to find a church who will send you the support, who will raise the funds that you need. Meantime, Pastor John's having lunch with, with Chris. He comes in from lunch and he calls me into the office and he said, Helen, I want you to ring Chris and Sandy and tell them to get back to Life Source Church and we'll send them to Peru. So I went out and I did as what I told. I rang Chris and Sandy. I said, you need to be back at Life Source Church and we'll get you to Peru. The following Sunday, they are here in church. 
And over the, the preceding months, they were on the cameras, the boys were in the band, they were in connect group, they were, they were everything in this church, meeting and know, getting to know people, just serving, beautiful serving hearts. And then pioneers in Melbourne said, uh, you need to come down and have an orientation day so we can just tell you what you'll be doing and how we're going to get you there. So they went off to Melbourne with the very pregnant uh, Sandy and the, all the children. They had their orientation down there in Melbourne. And when they came back from Melbourne, Chris made a phone call. He said, Helen, I've got the budget. Can I come in and talk to you about the budget? And I said, yeah, come on in, Chris. Now, over the last 19 years, church, I've put together a lot of budgets, 40,000, 60,000, 80,000. And church, we've been able to raise these funds to send missionaries out on the field. And we're keeping them out on the field still. And I knew this was going to be a big, a big budget. We're talking about a family of 10. Airfares alone is going to be huge. And so I, I was waiting for a big budget. And Chris came in and he spread the budget on the table. And I'm walking through all the items. And then I see the total, $250,000. And I thought, okay, Lord, looks like we're going to be walking on water with this one. And church, I need you to know, when you walk on water, you get wet feet. You cannot walk on water and have dry feet. So I was ready to have wet feet. So I said to Chris, well, we better get the brochures printed and introduce you to the church. So we had brochures printed where you all got one on your seats. And then John brought the family up onto the platform and introduced them to the, to the church and told them what they would be doing. Uh, now, remember, this is my story. Uh, Chris and Sandy on, only saw... Their focus was on Jesus, taking Jesus to the um, Andes Mountains in Peru. They didn't see anything on the periphery here. That wasn't their problem. They were going to Peru and that was it. And we were going to get them there and God was going to provide. So that was all, all that was happening. So in those first couple of weeks after the brochures were handed out, $50,000 came in. I thought, well, this is good. We're on the way. We only need another 200000 and they'll be there. So um, I, um, then the following two weeks, nothing, absolutely nothing. And I thought, $50,000, Lord. I went home this night and said, Lord, we've only got 50000 We need 250, Lord. If you want this couple in Peru, Father, it's time for you to move. So the following Sunday, I come to church. And after the first service, I'm walking down the stairs. And I'm nearly to the bottom. And this man said to me, I'll give you $50,000 to get the Welsh family to Peru. And I said, well, thank you very much. And when I stepped onto the, into the foyer, this man said to me, I'll give you $48,000 to send this family to Peru. By that time, I thought, God, you're moving. And I don't know how you are with God, but when he starts to move, I go weak. I mean, my legs were going weak. The blood had drained out of my face. And I headed back to the office and collapsed in my chair, as white as a sheet. And John walks by and he says, Helen, are you okay? And I said, I'm composing myself, John. I, I told him what had happened. And I'm having a glass of water and I'm composing myself, John. And then I'm going to go and share the good news with Chris and Sandy. So I composed myself, went up the stairs and told Chris and Sandy. I said, I don't know what you two will be doing tonight or this afternoon when you get home, but I'll be dancing and celebrating like David. And I did. And they said to me, well, the Welsh family will be doing the same. So that was that, was that week. The following week I come to church and this single mum comes up to me and says, I'd like to give $50 a month to support the Welsh family. And I thought, she's a single mum. I knew she, was, she did it tough. But I thanked her very much. Then a pensioner came up to me and said, 
I want to give $50 uh, $50 a month to support the Welsh family. Then he rang me up on Monday morning. He said, make that 100. Then two weeks ago, he rang me up. He said, make that 150. And then then a man in the church came to me and he said, "Uh, Helen, I'd like to give $10,000 just so I don't have to go. I think think you're all scared in this church that I've got you all going out. (laughs) So I thanked him very much. Then a lady came to me and she said, I'd like to give $30,000 to support the Welsh family to going to Peru. And that same feeling, you know, God, you're moving and I'm going weak in the legs. And I said to her, do you mind if we sit down? I didn't tell her if I didn't sit down, I'd fall down. So, so we sat down and, and we talked and I composed myself today. Again, I'm always composing myself when God's around. He knows what I like and what I'm like. I always said to him, Lord, if you get too close, I'll faint. I'll tell you now, I'm going to faint. <laughs> So he's quite used to me so with, with my composing myself. I'm always saying, I just need to compose myself, Lord. I'll take a deep breath and calm down. So in any case, this is how it was that morning. And after the service, people kept on coming. I'd like to give $100, I'll give $1,000, I'll give fifty, And it kept on coming. When I added up the total on Monday morning, we had just not quite $200,000. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, we've got $50,000 to go. Lord, we're nearly there. And so by this time, the baby had just been born. And uh, I knew that when the baby was six weeks old, they could have the immunisation and go. So, But we needed $50,000, so I wasn't too worried. And I was standing on water, and that was okay because I wasn't sinking. Uh, I knew this water could hold me up. So uh, then I had a call... Two weeks later, when the baby's a month old, I get a call from Sandy and she says, Helen, uh, Qantas have got a, a special airfare on for, to uh, Lima in Peru, 50% off. I said, oh, that is good. And she said, do you think we should buy the tickets? And I said, let's check with Pioneers. So we ring Pioneers and Pioneers said, yes, you buy the tickets, but don't delegate the day that you're going to fly out because we won't let you release you to go until you've got that other $50,000. So Sandy rings me up, Helen, we've got to designate the flying date. And I said, oh, we do, do we, Sandy? And she said, I said, what did you have in mind? And she said, well, Stacey will be having her six-week needle the end of April, early May. She said, I thought perhaps we'd fly out on the 31st of May. Now, I've been walking on water, but now, church, my feet are getting splashed. The water's coming up a bit, so I thought, I've got wet feet, I'm splashing the water, and I said, yes, Sandy, all right, let's book the tickets for the 31st of May. So she booked the tickets for the 31st of May, and I thought, now I've got to get $50,000 by the 31st of May. Lord, we can do this. Uh, I had decided I wasn't coming back to the church to ask for money because I felt the 200000 you had given above and beyond. And uh, I wasn't going to ask, I said, Lord, I'm not asking your people at Life Source to give any more. They have been giving above and beyond, apart from all the other missionaries that we support. So I thought, well, Lord, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it, Lord. I'm not going to say to the church that I'm short $50,000. So what happens next is Chris resigns his job. They give notice of the church they're renting, and, uh, house they're renting, and say, uh, we'll be moving out uh, a few days before the end of May. And they have a garage sale. They pack up all their boxes. 
and they're ready to go. They don't know what's going on around here. It's no use me trying to tell them because they see Jesus, they see Peru, they see the gospel going through the Andes Mountains. Not worried about here. That's not worried about. They're, they're going. That's their focus. So uh, they're packing up and getting ready to go and Chris has not got no work and, and we, I need $50,000. Two weeks out, still no money. Still needing $50,000. So I know God provides money in all different ways and he looks after us. He does, he does unusual things at times. Like remember Elijah? He said go and camp by the, the brook and he sends a raven with meat every day to feed him. So I knew God, was, God can do different things. So I wasn't really worried but I just didn't know how he was going to do it. So two weeks out and I'm thinking, oh, well, Lord, it's two weeks. I, I, perhaps I should think of something. Anyway, I rang Chris and I said to Chris, I think you should come in and, and talk with me and we need to go through your budget and see if we can get rid of some things out of the budget that you don't really need. So when we looked at the budget, I saw the airfares, $20,000. $20, and I thought, oh, we just paid $10,000. We've just saved $10,000, Phil. Uh, Chris, that's $40,000 we need. That was a good start. So, so then I saw these are $10,000. They put it in for holidays for Chris and Sandy and the family because they're going out for three years. And I said, Chris, do you think you could do without a holiday for three years and just hike around the Andes Mountains? No worries, Helen, we can do that. We took another 10,000 out. We were down to 30,000 now. This is going well. And I said, um, they have a field fellowship over there, like we're having our field fellowship in Lisbon. I said, pioneers go over there, and they're allowed 2,500 for you to attend that. I said... Chris, we'll have to get rid of the Field Fellowship. You can't go to that. Pastor John will Skype you and give you Field Fellowship on Skype. So we took that out. Then there was another cost there, $1,500 for a maid to help Sandy in the, in the house. And I, I said to Chris, what do you pay for a maid here in Sydney? We don't have a maid, Helen. Well, I guess you'll have to go without a maid in Peru too. <laughs> So I, I hated being hard like this, but, you know, it was, getting, it was getting desperate. But then Chris said to me, Helen, you can't take that out of the budget because that's how we get our visa and we have to employ someone. Okay, we leave that in the budget. So we went through that budget line by line, taking out $1,000 here, $50 somewhere else. We got it down to $5,000. We sent it off to Pioneers and they okayed it. So that was fine. One week out... We got $5,000, and when they said it was okay, but they would not release them to go until they had that $5,000. And I'm saying, Lord, I only need $5,000, but I'm not asking the church, Lord. We're providing 98% of the, of the support, and I want that other support to come from somewhere else, Lord. So a week out, and there's still no money. And I'm thinking, God, where's this $5,000? Now, you might say to me this morning... Why didn't you take it out of your missions budget? Because most of the money that comes in for missions is designated. And if I was to take $5,000, which missionary would I take it off? I couldn't do that to our missionaries. They, they are out there as passionate as Chris and Sandy, Sandy are, and I wasn't going to do that. So I thought, $5,000, well, Lord... I've just got to keep on believing. This one week out, I thought, Lord, I've got to ring Pioneers. They're not going to let them go. So I ring Pioneers, and, and it's my sob story, but it's really not. I said to them, look, Pioneers, it's like this. If you don't let them go, it's going to cost us $10,000 in airfare. Chris is going to have to go and get another job. We're going to have to rent a house, and we're going to have to furnish the house. We'll never get back all this money that we're going to lose. 
So they said to me, all right, give us an hour or two and I'll get back to you. So an hour later, they rang me up and said, all right, we'll leave them, uh, we'll, we'll release them to go. But as soon as you've got that $5,000, uh, you, you send it to us. Uh, in what well, I'd like to say, that, that $5,000 did come, but it didn't come from Life Source Church. It came from friends outside the church, workmates. So the bulk of their money and their support has come out of this church. So then we, we got them all packed up. We'd hired two trucks to take these 96 boxes to the airport. We had people here in the church who were organised to go out and unpack the, box, the boxes off the truck and wheel them in. Uh, everything was organised. We, we uh, booked them into an apartment at the airport for the last couple of days before they flew out. And so everything's doing well. And then Pastor John and Anne decide they're going to take them out for lunch and to the food court. So they, um, they go into town. This is the day before. They go into town, take they had a, games in the park, and then to the food court. Now, I don't know whether you've ever taken seven children to the food court, but let me tell you, Pastor John and Anne did not eat this day. They, by the time they got these children fed, and Chris and Sandy, and everybody wanted something different. One wants Kentucky Fried, one wants sushi, one wants this one, and then they all want different drinks. One wants a Coke, and one wants a lemonade, and one wants a hot chocolate. So finally, everybody gets fed, and they're, they're eating their meal. And they nearly finished their meal, and Sandy said, who's got the bag? And John said, what bag? She said, the bag we had in the, in the park when we were playing with the children. It's, it's, uh, it's the bag that's got presents for the children when we arrive in Peru. And John says, anybody got the bag? No. Well, let's go back to the park and see if the bag's there. Now, I know John has shared this with you, but I want, you to, see, I want to emphasise something about this family. So they get back to the park, and there are two armed soldiers with their AK-47s guarding this bag, waiting for the bomb squad to arrive. And this is Chris and Sandy. Isn't God wonderful? He's even armed his guards to look after our bag. I'm telling you, this family saw Peru, nothing else. And so uh, they get their bag and they, get out, they go out to the airport. On the morning of the, of the fly-out day, every, Qantas has opened a special gate for them because there's so many boxes and for the family at 10. We're there four hours ahead of time because that's what they wanted. Everything's going well. We're wheeling the boxes in and everything's going well. Then I get a phone call. Helen, pray, pray. What do you want me to pray about? There's one bag missing. I said, what do you mean there's one bag missing? And I said, it's Sandy's bag. And the one that's got the thing she's going to need for the baby on the plane. And it's got their passports and visas. And it's got their money in it. Helen, pray. So the staff, we get together and we pray. Half an hour later, I get a phone call. We've got the bag. We went back to the apartment. And it was sitting on the footpath. And everybody's walking back and forth. So I said, one more request, please. I said, do not, they're just about all through checkout at this stage. I said, do not leave that airport until you see that red kangaroo disappear into the clouds. So, okay, so about half an hour later, I get a call. Helen, the kangaroo has just disappeared, paid into the clouds. I said, thank you, you're released. And I sat at my desk and I put my arms up to God. I said, Lord, Life Source did it. With a lot of passionate people, we've got them. Uh, on their way to Peru, Lord. Your angels are burnt out. We're exhausted, Lord. <laughs> They're all yours now for Peru. Church, it was a magnificent effort. We accomplished that day because we've got a magnificent God and you are a passionate people. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. Don't lose your passion, church. 
Don't lose your passion. Just to finish up this, the following Sunday, uh, I was at, um, we had a welcome lunch. And everybody at, at the welcome lunch, uh, John always introduces everybody, all the pastors. And this is Pastor Helen, and she looks after missions. So uh, he said, if you want to have any questions, go and talk to Pastor Helen. So this lady comes up to me afterwards and she said, I'd like to ask you some questions about missions. And I looked at her and I said, how many children have you got? <laughs> I apologised to her after that. But I just thought, oh God, you're not going to do this to me again so soon. But yeah, we're still friends. Uh, so that was lovely. But it was, a, uh, it was a walking on water job with a couple that are so passionate. And look, church, I don't think any of you realise how big this is. Uh, they, Chris and they were there working hard, driving hours to find places to put up antennas and put in radio and television antennas. It is so big, and now we've got satellite dishes, it is so big that it'll cover the whole of South America with the gospel. And not only that, uh, not only cover the whole of South America with the gospel, but people are going to hear the gospel, and people in the Andes Mountains are going to know that there's a hospital who can help them. It's huge, church. It is just huge what a passionate couple are accomplishing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, church. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.